0: Well, hey, everyone. Uh, I'm so glad that all of you made it to church today. Welcome to Eagle Brook. uh, Across the Twin Cities in Rochester, all of you joining us online. We're so glad that you're a part of our community. I am excited to be back. My name is Brandon, and uh, we are continuing in our series called I've Got Issues. Now, when uh, Bob and Jason invited me back to speak, of course, I was honored. I was thrilled to do it. But then when they told me that the series was going to be called I Got Issues. I got a little concerned because they kept saying, Brandon, this series was made for you. You're going to do so well with this. And I was like, don't be so excited next time. But uh, man, the truth is we, we all have got issues, right? And I am no exception. The issue that I want to spend some time talking about today is one that I think can fly under the radar of many of our lives. But it can also be the driving force behind why we feel this need to overspend in order to look successful or to find happiness, or why we're constantly working and hustling at our jobs, or why a fulfilling life always seems just a little out of reach. The the issue that I'm talking about today is discontentment. And there's a pastor and author out in Portland, Oregon named John Mark Comer who defines discontentment as that nagging feeling of always wanting more. And I don't know about you, but there are plenty of things I always want more of. I want more time in the day. I want more sleep at night. And I want more Oreos. Like, do you know a person who can eat just one Oreo? If you do, don't trust that person. I want the whole sleeve, if not the whole package of Oreos. You know what I'm saying? I just want more. And most of the time when I'm obsessively wanting more of something, it's usually because I'm insecure about something else. For instance, a few months ago, I celebrated my 30th birthday, which was a big deal for me. I was leaving adolescence, stepping into adulthood. I was very excited. I was going to be 30 and thriving. But then I realized that my 30s were beginning to take something from me. Not very proud to admit this, but the truth is, is when I turned 30, I realized that I am losing my hair. (laughs) Some of you need to admit that. I'm just kidding. You all look great. You look wonderful. But it's true. I'm losing my hair. But see, I didn't notice it all at once. It kind of snuck up on me. It started when I would look back at pictures of myself from high school, like this one. (coughs) Come on. Look at this guy. Look at that mane, man. Look at the confidence in his eyes. He's taken over the world. And then I would look in the mirror and just see a sad, balding person, you know. And then I would have conversations with my wife, which is no way to end date night. By the way, honey, you're going bald. It's not a confidence booster, you know. And then something happened after the last time I spoke here on the weekend. I gave a message. So many of you reached out. You were very kind and encouraging. But then there were others of you who kept comparing me to someone else who's on our staff. (laughs) I mean, I was getting text messages and emails telling me that I look like a young Bob Merritt. And you know you don't notice in this picture? Hair. It's a fresh dome, people. You can see my reflection in that thing, you know? Now, any, any comparison to Bob, of course, is a compliment, and yes, he paid me to say that. Um, just kidding, just kidding. But I mean, I realized that I was 30, I was getting older, I was losing my hair, and it made, me, it made me begin to wonder, man, what else am I losing? Am I losing relevance? Am I losing my youth? Like, am I losing my looks? Like, am I getting ugly? All of these questions were running through my mind, and while it might seem like an over-exaggeration, When it felt like I didn't have enough hair, it felt like I didn't have enough of anything. And I wonder for you today, what do you feel like you don't have enough of? Maybe in your job, it's success. You feel like you're not as far along as you thought you would be. Or maybe you feel like you don't have enough money. Or for some of you, you don't have enough followers. You don't have enough influence. Maybe it goes a bit deeper. You don't have enough attention You don't have enough peace. You don't have enough love. See, most of us probably feel like we don't have enough of something. That's not really the problem. Wanting more of things isn't always a problem. The problem is when our contentment is dependent on gaining more and more that we become discontent with what we have and what we've been given. So today, what I want to do with our time together is I want to talk about two real killers to your contentment and how you can Avoid them. The first killer of your contentment is comparison. There was a man in the Bible named Solomon, and the Bible talks about Solomon as the wisest man to have ever lived. And this is what he had to say about the dangers of comparison. He said, jealousy is like cancer in the bones. And jealousy really is any time that we compare our life or what we have to what someone else has and end up wanting their life more than our own. And Solomon is saying that that kind of lifestyle is like cancer in the bones. It's gonna kill something eventually. The, my first memories of dealing with the problem of comparison happened to me when I was in high school. Because that's when I began to primarily define myself by what I was not like or what I didn't have. Like I joined the basketball team when I was in high school and I quickly realized that I am not like the athletes. I didn't look like them, I couldn't play ball like them, I didn't smell like them, I just wasn't like them. And so I went the other direction. I joined an honors math class, and I quickly realized that I was not as smart as my parents said that I was. (laughs) They set a very high bar, just couldn't reach it. And then I joined all these social clubs that my school had to offer, and I quickly realized that I am not extroverted enough to like that many people all of the time. Like, I just don't know extroverts how you do it. It's exhausting, seriously. But see, what happened is I started to resent those people. You know, those people who are who always succeeding at school or at sports or in social situations, just in life in general. And I grew bitter. I lost enthusiasm for. I, I never celebrated any of their achievements because it felt like it was an insult to me. See, slowly, comparison started to chip away at my contentment, because that is what comparison does. Comparison is that thing that pushes us back to Instagram. Facebook to to look at them, whoever they are for you and their new car, their new TV, their new kitchen, their new countertop, their new sink, their new garage, their new boat, their new life. Comparison will keep us in a cycle of believing that what that we don't have enough and that what we do have isn't enough. And so we'll go into debt or we'll spend a little bit of extra time talking to that attentive coworker or we'll harbor bitterness in our hearts, and then one day we wake up realizing that we no longer like the life that we currently have. Comparison, like cancer, will kill your contentment. So what might you be comparing your life to right now? For some of you, as silly as it might sound, It really is something on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, where everyone's life looks like a perfect DIY project and yours looks unfinished. Or maybe it's that person at work that got the promotion or that got the raise. Or maybe you're comparing your singleness to their relationship or your divorce to their anniversary. You see, the real problem with comparison is just like Pastor Andy Stanley says, that there's no win in comparison. When Solomon was an old man looking back on his life and all that he had learned, he comes back to this idea of the dangers of comparison. And look at what he says. He says, I have observed that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. But this is meaningless, like chasing the wind, which is another way of saying it gets you nowhere. Comparison doesn't lead to contentment. It leads towards bitterness towards our friends it leads towards dissatisfaction in our relationships and in our marriages. And worst of all, it it can mean that we miss out on the life that God has for us. I mean, what if you and I were so busy comparing what we don't have to what they do have that we miss out on the life that God has for us? So friends, if we want more contentment in our life, a good place to start is by recognizing what we compare our life to and how it affects the way that we live. does it leave us bitter, angry, alone. And there, we start to kill comparison before comparison kills our contentment. The second real killer to your contentment is chasing more. When I was a kid, I played T-ball, and I was by far the most uninterested kid on the team. Okay? I never knew what the score was. I couldn't hit the ball to save my life. Mind you, it was on a T right in front of me. And winning or losing made zero impact on on my mood. I just didn't care. My coaches didn't know what to do with me. Anytime we were in the outfield, they would hand me a glove and say, Brandon, your position is just run as far as you can away from home plate. Just keep going. Just, Just go. That's your position. So that's what I would do. I would run, and then once I got there, I would just kind of let my mind wander. You know, when's lunch going to be? When can I sit on the couch? Are there going to be juice boxes? If not, what's the point? This whole thing. (laughs) And then when I ran out of things to think about, I got bored. You know, like little kid, bored, bored. I would throw my mouth wide open and look at the clouds. Other coaches would notice this, and they would tell their players, hey, try to hit the kid with the open mouth looking at the clouds. When the ball came my way, I didn't know what to do. I would just swat at it like it was a bee, you know. I remember my coaches calling a timeout and bringing me together and say, "Brandon, if you ever want to catch a ball in your life, you have to quit being bored and stay focused on the game that you are playing." And I remembered that because I think it's just good advice for life. Because I think so often we get bored with our lives, we get bored with our jobs, we get bored with our families. We get bored with our marriages. We get bored with our stuff. And then we start to wonder, man, what would it be like to have something better? A better job, a better place to live, a better marriage, a better TV, a better phone. And that, that promise of better will inspire us to chase after more, more money, more time away from home, more sex, more influence, more boats, more garages, more homes, more, more more. Solomon again told a short story about a man who was caught up chasing more. And he begins the story by telling us that he was alone. He didn't have any brothers and he didn't have any sons. Uh, And so that meant that no one was going to inherit his wealth after he passed away. And to us, we might kind of gloss over that, but that was a really big deal back then because it wasn't just about passing your money on to someone, it's about passing your legacy. It was a status symbol to have someone to inherit your wealth when you passed away. And without that, there was no real reason to kill yourself by working because there was no point really. But Solomon tells us that, that for this man, there was no end to his toil and his eyes were not content with his wealth. Have you ever had one of those days where you have a full day of work and you get to the end of it and you're like, what did I even do today? You know, you get up early, maybe you get a workout in, you you go to the office, you you send the emails, you take the meetings, you get the kids out of bed, you get them dressed out of the house, you pick them up at the right time, make sure everyone is fed. And you get to the end of the day and you're thinking like, what day even is it? What did I accomplish, if anything, today? That's the kind of feeling that this guy has in Solomon's story. He's working, he's hustling, he's gaining more money. And at the end of it, he asks himself a crucial question, a question that I think if you and I got in the habit of asking ourselves, it would completely change our perspective on where contentment really comes from. He asks himself this, for whom am I toiling? Why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? Friends, let me ask you, who are you working for, really? Who are the achievements for? Who are the accolades for? What are you trying to prove and who are you trying to prove it to? Because the truth is, for some of us, we're still trying to gain the approval of a father or a mother or a mother-in-law or a father-in-law. Some of us are still caught up silently competing in our hearts with a sibling, a coworker, someone who exists on Facebook or Instagram. We're still trying to have their life because that, that'll make us happy. The tragic truth of that kind of chasing is that even if we got more of what we were looking for, it wouldn't leave us any more content. Or like Solomon said, this is meaningless. It's a miserable business. I mean, the people who have that, this kind of lifestyle don't grow in contentment, they grow in misery. And notice that Solomon isn't giving us a command here. He's not telling us something that we should or shouldn't do. He's telling us how life really works. In other words, Solomon is telling us that chasing more always leads to more chasing. Now now hear me, this doesn't mean that God doesn't give us things to enjoy in our life. Notice his question. Why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? Chasing after a better marriage chasing after doing well in your job, chasing after things that will bring a pure sense of joy into your life, those aren't wrong. But when that becomes the center of your life, when all you want is to gain that one thing or to have that one status, then you'll be happy. That's when your chasing will never, ever end. So if comparison doesn't bring a sense of contentment and chasing more... Doesn't bring contentment, then where does contentment really come from? Well, friends, the whole reason I'm here today is to tell you this that contentment comes from Christ. Christ is the ultimate gift given to you and to me so that we might know what it means to live our everyday life with a true sense of contentment. Or, like Jesus himself said in John 16, I have told you these things that you may have peace or a sense of fulfillment, or a sense of contentment in your life. Because in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. See, Jesus is reminding us that in this world, we will be discontent. There might come a moment where you do get passed over for a promotion or a raise. Where you will have to wait to get into a relationship that leads to marriage. Or you will have to wait to get pregnant or have children of your own where you will have to live under the constraints of your income, whatever that may be, where you will want more. But the key to contentment is realizing that none of those things bring a lasting sense of contentment because all of them are limited. All of them are conditional. But Jesus is reminding us that he has no limits, that his love for us is completely unconditional, and true contentment comes into our life when we put him at the center of it all. Paul is another character in the Bible. He's one of those guys who seemed like he had everything. He was born into the right family. He had the right schooling. He had the right job, and still his whole younger life was defined by more accolades, more achievements, chasing after more. And then one day, Paul met Jesus, and in that one meeting, he realized that all those things that he was running after had less value compared to knowing Jesus. Paul himself says this in Philippians 3. He says, I once thought that these things were valuable. I thought that it it was about the accolades. It was about the success. It was about the job. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And he goes on to say, for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and know him. This is really strong language from Paul, but really what he's trying to say is that when Christ is at the center of our lives, everything else is put into its rightful place. And life only gets out of balance when we put the job first, when we put the thing first, when we put the, the, the achievements first. Life gets out of balance. And you know, I can tell you that with a certain sense of confidence because I've been there. A few years ago, my wife Kelsey and I, we lived in Ohio. And the reason we lived there is because I had a job that I loved. I was going after it with everything I could. I was taking every opportunity. I was working extra hours. And in the meantime, my wife needed me because she was at the lowest moment of her emotional health. She was really struggling. What she needed was to move back to Minnesota to be with her family where she grew up at a familiar place with her husband beside her so that she could heal and that she could grow. But that meant that I would have to give up chasing that dream in Ohio and move back to Minnesota where when I compared it, It didn't seem like there was anything for me there. And I honestly wasn't ready to go. One night my wife sat me down and she told me, Brandon, I have to move back. And it's up for you to figure out if you want to come with me or not. And in that moment, I thought that she was being selfish. I, I, I thought that, and she felt like I was overlooking her emotions. And the truth is, I didn't know what to do. And some of you need to hear this. There will come a moment, probably, in your marriage or in a relationship where you won't know what to do either. And it is so important in those moments that you learn to reach beyond yourself to find strength. And Thankfully, I had enough emotional intelligence to do just that. I went to a friend's house the next day. I asked him for advice and for him to pray for me. We had a long conversation. And at the end of it, he said something to me that I don't think I'll ever forget. He said, Brandon, your contentment won't come by chasing your dreams It comes when you are willing to chase the one who gave you the ability to dream in the first place. And in that moment, I realized that my life was out of order. That I've been putting this job first. And then I was trying to put my marriage first. And all of that didn't make me any more content. I still felt more confused. But what I needed to do was put Christ at the center of my life so that he could become my strength. So that he could be my contentment and this is again a lesson that Paul learned so well in Philippians he says I have learned how to be content with whatever I have I know what it is to live on almost nothing or with everything and he goes on to say I have learned the secret of living in every situation that's what I needed some of you need that today too that secret how to live in any situation whether it's with a full stomach or empty, plenty or little. And here's the secret. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I can live in any state. I can work at any job. I could have any income. I could have any TV, any house. I can be in any relationship because that's not what I'm chasing anymore. I'm not chasing the accolades. I'm not chasing the achievements. I am chasing Jesus, and he puts everything else in my life into perspective. Friends, so often when we're in the middle of a difficult season or a confusing time in our life, that's when we really begin to compare because everyone else's life looks so much better than ours. That's when we start to chase more because we think if we could just get one more thing, if we could just get one win for ourselves, then we'll be happy. But if we can learn in those moments to put Christ at the center of our life, he will put everything into perspective. Because what I didn't know when I was living in Ohio is that if I hadn't have listened to my friend, if I hadn't committed to my marriage, if I hadn't tried to put Christ first every day, imperfectly, yes, but tried to put him at the center of my life, then I would be stuck somewhere in Troy, Ohio. And friends, my encouragement to you today is don't get stuck. Don't get stuck in a life of comparison. Don't get stuck chasing more, thinking that it will bring you more happiness. Instead, may you be set free when you put Christ at the center of your life and allow him to be your contentment, allow him to be your prize. And so often, that moment of putting Christ at the center of your life, it happens with a decision. It happens when a moment when you say, I'm done with the chasing, I'm done with the comparing, I'm putting Christ at the center. And right now, I wanna invite you across all of our campuses to do that as we celebrate and receive communion. And so at all campuses, you can begin to pass the elements. And as the elements are being passed around, the, the band's gonna come back onto the stage. We're gonna sing one last song together. And once you receive the elements, go ahead and just hold on to it for a little bit. And I'll invite you to take it in just a moment. But as things are being passed around, hear me. The, the reason we do this, the reason we receive communion is because it is primarily a reminder. It's a reminder that God loved us so much that he sent his son into the world so that he might die on a cross so that you and I could be forgiven and that you and I could receive a new life. You see, the bread that we eat reminds us that Christ's body was broken for us. And the cup that we drink, it reminds us that Christ shed his blood for us. And so as you take communion today, may may you use this as an opportunity to remember what God has done for you. Take a moment and thank him Thank him that he loved you enough to sacrifice his body, to shed his blood. Thank him for your forgiveness and let it fill you with contentment. So friends, right now at all campuses, let's take a moment and receive communion together.